Jesus is teaching here, and he's, um, he's teaching uh, the whole passage, the whole chapter, really, he's touching on the issue of the demonic. But I'm going to pick up in the middle of the chapter, actually towards the end. Matthew 12, 43, Jesus is teaching, and he says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And then in Matthew's gospel, this footnote is added, so also will it be with this evil generation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving you the the context of Matthew 12. You can just read it. But the main gist of it is earlier in the chapter, Jesus is casting out a demon out of a man. And when he does that, the religious leaders, the, the opposition, start accusing him of putting on a show that is not actually a divine miracle, but they accuse Jesus of being empowered by Satan in order to do some almost magical trick in casting out demons. They don't want to give Jesus any glory. They don't believe he's sent from God. And yet Jesus is doing all these miracles, and they just can't get their minds and their hearts wrapped around the fact that this is the Messiah. They don't want him to be the Messiah. So when it comes to his display of authority over the demonic realm, they just won't buy into it. And so Jesus gives dire warnings about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and then he gives this illustration where he's talking about a demon that was in a man who leaves the man, who comes back to the man to destroy the man. And so in this passage of Scripture, it's one of the rare times in the Gospels where we get to hear Jesus teaching about the reality of demons. And so if I can get through some of this tonight, I think we're all going to go away uh, instructed on a deeper level. But the one thing I want to be careful with are the two extremes. The two extremes when it comes to discussing and learning about demonic activity is that some people think everything's attached to a demon and other people think nothing's attached to a demon. And so what I want us to do, and, and listen, literally we look at things by a case-by-case scenario because the Bible doesn't give you a one, two, three litmus test in, in, in that covers everything. And so in this, I want to make sure before I even get into it that nobody assumes leaving here tonight that the things, if you have experienced or are experiencing some of the, the things I'm going to talk about that is attached to the demonic realm, it's not always a demon. There are some other causes for this stuff. But at the same time, I don't want you to just dismiss every trouble, every sickness, every heartbreak, every mental or emotional flare-up. I don't want you to dismiss it as always being human either. So basically, when we go into a text like this and a message like this, it kind of leaves us kind of on our toes. We need to be alert and we need to be thinking. So let's go back to the passage. It's only three verses tonight. But I have several other things I want to weave in. So go back up into verse number 43. And I want to show you from what Jesus is teaching here, the design of the enemy. 
Satan was an angel who fell when he was evicted out of heaven. He took a third of the angels with him. Those rebellious angels are known as unclean spirits or demons. We most often refer to them as demons. If you carry an older translation, they're sometimes referred to as devils. But we're talking about fallen angels, malevolent, evil creatures. And Jesus talks uh, in verse 43 and gives us some information. First of all, and I'll refer to this demon he's describing in the masculine gender. gender. He is unclean. The demon is unclean. Jesus is very specific, and he describes the reality of an unclean spirit going out of a person. Now, just let that soak in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who is the, the way and the truth and the life, declares the reality that demons can enter into a person and demons can exit a person. Now, we're not told why the demon exited this individual. Uh, Many people would assume that maybe he's referring to what he did earlier in the chapter, the exorcism of a demon out of a man. Or it could be, we're not told here, that the demon can come and go as he pleases once he takes ownership of a person. And it's very clear in this passage that this demon believes he owns this individual. And so the the thing I want to focus on is that Jesus calls this spirit unclean. And it's a word that has a, a breadth of application, but it literally means evil. It means foul. It means inherently bad, and it has the connotation of a destructive force. This is the nature of the demonic realm. It is anti-God. It is anti-you, especially if you're a believer. And so the, the connotation here is that this evil, fallen, wicked spirit who is following its master, who is Satan, comes to find people whom he can steal or rob and kill and destroy. That's his desire. There's no mercy, there's no kindness, there's there's nothing about the demonic realm that you and I ever want to touch except to come against it in the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the Word of God, and the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know this right off the bat. The reason why we don't play around with the occult or anything that can touch the demonic is because in our flesh we're no match for a demon. In our flesh, we're no match. And in in, in demonic encounters, and they do happen, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you three personal testimonies in this message. In our flesh, we are always outmatched. They are powerful creatures, literally hell bent on destroying us. And apart from the presence and the power of God, we cannot combat that evil force unless we are filled with righteousness. And it can't be, by the way, yesterday's righteousness. It means we must be walking in the Spirit. But go further into this verse with me. He's not only unclean in this passage, he's on a mission. Notice the unclean spirit goes out of the man, and then in verse 43 it also says he passes through waterless places. Now Jesus is giving a parable here, but in the parable he's enlightening us to how things work in the demonic realm. When this demon leaves the individual in whom he once lived, the demon goes out and he is passing through the waterless places. It's very interesting to me. You can look in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, you're going to find that the enemy hates life so much that he doesn't even want to be around natural life, vegetative life. 
They, they remember where, where Jesus fought with the devil? It was out in the wilderness. It was in the middle of nowhere. Here, the Spirit leaves all area that is prone to life, and he goes out and he's moving throughout the wilderness, through the desert, through the waterless places. And it, the, the reason why this is highlighted to me is that it indicates that the enemy moves. He is moving. He is searching. Peter tells us that he is like a, a, a lion that is roaming about. He's looking for somebody to devour. So it's intentional. It's constant. It's active. And it's very capable. But the beauty of what Peter wrote is there, just by in, inferring from what Peter wrote when he says he's looking for whom he may devour, the good news is, is that there are some he can't touch. There are some individuals on planet earth that the devil himself cannot win a battle against. And those individuals are the people of God and those especially among the people of God who are walking in the spirit, resisting the devil and yielding in submission unto the Lord. And the scriptures are very plain that when we resist the devil, he's the one that has to go get therapy. The Bible says that literally he will flee from you. And that Greek verb there indicates that he will run away quickly. That he doesn't want to mess with a person who is literally filled with the presence and the power of God. But in this case, in Jesus' parable, this man isn't. The demon left the man and is looking for anybody else whose life he might wreck. Now, watch what happens here. It says that he's moving through the waterless places, but he's not going to be detoured. It says that he's seeking rest, but he finds none. Now, we have to think like a demon for a moment, if I can say it that way. What is rest to a demon? He's looking for a place to make himself home. He just left one house. He just left out of a house that he had owned, he had inhabited. He just left that house. He's moving into the desert area, trying to find somebody else uh, that he can take over, he can control, he can possess, oppress, however you want to phrase it. He's looking for somebody that he can move into. But he can't find anybody. And so, therefore, the demon, in his intellect, in his will, in his, in his being, he can't find rest. He can't find anywhere to make himself home. He, listen, this is an amazing thing. The demons have a desire. They want to find somebody to kill, to steal, to harm, to destroy. And when they can find that person, they're at rest. And, and literally, if you've ever seen in the animal kingdom, as, as brutal as it is on some of those National Geographic documentaries, you can see some of the predators out in the, in, in the bush, and maybe it's a lion. And sometimes when they find a prey, they could pounce on that prey, snap its neck, and eat it, and it's done. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes they toy with it. Sometimes they make it suffer. Sometimes they'll let it get up, run 50 yards, and pounce on it again. Demons have that kind of predatory, uh, predatory spirit about them. And they're looking for a place to satisfy their thirst. And so this is what we're seeing portrayed here. Now, the New Testament reveals demons as those beings who prefer to harness the physical body of humans in order to accomplish their work. Their preference is to be embodied. They want to take control of a human body. You can find that in Luke chapter 8 if you look around verses 29 through 32, the account of Jesus delivering the man who had a legion of demons, and the demons knew that their time was up, and they literally said to Jesus, please don't send us into the abyss. Send us into the pigs. Just give us something that we can enter into. And Jesus just was concerned about the man. He didn't care about the pigs. 
Don't write me letters if you're from, you know, PETA or anything like that. But he, he sent them out. They went into the pigs. And what did they do to the pigs? They killed them. They drowned them. Why? Because that's what demons do. They kill whatever they can. Now, what's, what's amazing to me is I, as I thought so much on this in recent weeks is that the, the work of the enemy, because they can't touch the throne of Jesus, so they want to come against whatever brings or bears the most resemblance, the glory of God in the earth. And friends, here's something that we need to understand. Mankind was made in the image of whom? God. And the devil, what he wanted was the glory of God. He did not get it. And now he wants the uncontested dominion over the earth, and yet Jesus Christ broke that chain at Calvary. And the Bible clearly says that one day the redeemed human beings, those that are in Jesus Christ, are going to do what? We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. God is actually giving us through Christ, by grace, through faith, the very thing that Satan himself wanted and tried to steal in heaven. And I'm just going to say it this way. The devil is very angry that we're going to get to experience for eternity what he forfeited in heaven when he rebelled. And so that fury and that anger and that hatred and that murderous rage that is in Satan is also in his demons. I want you to see him, Satan, as a general, a commander of the forces of hell. And every uh, demon has a rank, has a place, has an assignment, has a station, perhaps even a geographical territory. And, and the enemy is very much um, systematized in his approach to what he wants to accomplish. Therefore, the church must recognize that because we can't be haphazard. You need to know your enemy. And one of the reasons I believe that Jesus is giving this passage is not only to illustrate a point 2,000 years ago, but to enlighten us about how the devil's working they, how he's working in my life, how he's working in your life. When I say in it, to come against it. And so let's go a little bit further. Let's go into verse number 44 at the beginning. Look at the determination of the enemy. Verse number 44, very quickly, these are simple points. He is a merciless foe, merciless. The demon who has left the man now says, I'll return. I'm going to go back to my house. He, he, remember, he left the man. He has gone out looking for somebody else to ruin. He can't find a suitable candidate in whom he can find the rest that he enjoyed in the former person he inhabited. So this demon has said, I guess I'll go back to where I came from. I guess I'm going to go back home. He's relentless. Now, let's, let's, let's use our reasoning process here. The man was once dominated by a demon, possessed by a demon, inhabited by a demon. When that demon left him, for whatever reason, Jesus does not tell us the means by which that demon left that man. But... I think it's reasonable to say that the man was probably doing better without that demon in him than he was when the demon was in him. And so when the demon left him, we're going to find out in this very passage, some things began to improve for the man. We're not told how long it was in the parable, a day, a week, a month, a year. We don't know. But we're going to find out that in the absence of that demon, this man started trying to get his life together. But the demon is merciless. He is a relentless, merciless foe. He does not have any compassion. He doesn't, he's not going to give you uh, any kind of free pass. And when he wants to come back, the biggest problem that this man has is he has been, he has had that demon evicted, but nobody else took up residence in his life. So watch what happens. We'll get to that in just a second. N notice also the presumption 
of this foe. Look at what he says. He says, I'm going to return to my house. I'm going to go back to my house from which I came. He is referring to that individual. He's saying, I'm going to go back because I can. I'm going to go back and I'm going to take the exact same authority that I left with and I'm going to dominate like I used to dominate. Listen, if, if, you've, if you've ever known anybody that's worked through addiction, and I spent 10 years addicted to multiple things, and it is amazing that you reach a point when you're trying to clean yourself up, you reach a point, and this is apart from the power of God, you reach a point where you just say, I can't, I can't deny myself anymore. I've got to go back to get my fix. I've got to go back. And you're driven by your flesh. You're driven by your appetite. You're driven by your addiction. And this demon has reached its point trying to find somebody else that he can inhabit. He can't find a suitable candidate. And he goes, I just got to go back because my nature is to destroy. And I can't destroy anything right now. I'm going to go back to him. This is amazing to me. One of the things that we have to recognize, and this is probably getting a little ahead of where we need to be tonight, but we need to understand, folks, that you don't do life solo. You're inhabited by someone. Now, that doesn't mean that every unsaved person is chronically possessed, controlled like a puppet on demonic strings. That's not what I'm saying. But they're, 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 we are primarily spiritual creatures that have a body not physical creatures that have a spirit. We are primarily, because we will be spiritual forever, we'll get a new body, but the body we're in is going to drop. But what's amazing is when the Bible puts us in this kind of crucible, we find out that, that standing solo with no active inhabitant in our life makes us incredibly vulnerable to the enemy. Jesus taught earlier in this chapter, the strong man has to be at home. And when the strong man is in the house, the thief can't get in to plunder his goods. And he's talking about that in the context of demonic possession. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the strong man. I am the one who, when I'm in the house, nobody comes in and steals and kills and destroys. But this man didn't have the strong man. He was empty. Now watch what happens here. This is, this is good, uh, enlightening stuff from the Lord. Look at the delight of the enemy at the end of verse number 44, the delight. When the demon comes back home, here's what it finds in the house. When it comes, it finds the house, first of all, it finds an unprotected heart or house. The house is empty. Nobody's there in that man's life that is fit to do battle with the demon who just came back home. Nobody's there in his life to prevent the return of the enemy. Now, you're going to find out that this has bearing because one of the things that religion does, I, I've been mad at religion all week. I have. I wrote a blog about it this week, just wrote a, I'm breaking up with you. Actually, I posted it. It was written 10 years, 12 years ago, but I just said, I'm going to just go public with this thing because I hate religion. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're saying, well, dude, you're in the wrong profession if you hate religion. <laughs> I don't want any religion on me. When I say religion, I'm not talking about the way it was referenced 300 years ago. I'm talking about dead religion, man's religion, outward religion, religious motions, traditions and trends and empty philosophy and vain deceit and all the stuff the Bible just kind of repudiates. I don't want that on me. 
I want to be a Bible man. I want to be a Holy Spirit man. I want to be a man of love. I want to be a man of God, not as a preacher, but as a Christian. And in order to do that, I've got to recognize that tradition and, and religion fakes it. It focuses on the outside, and that's what this guy's doing. Religion comes in and just says, well, your life's a mess. Listen, we're just going to help you out of this, and we're going to help you straighten up your life. And religion and religious people always focus on what it looks like. They always want to make sure it looks right, it sounds right, it walks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, but sometimes those that walk and talk like a Christian aren't. And this guy, look at this. Let me just let the text speak here. So the, the heart is unprotected. It's an empty house. It's also vulnerable. The Bible, Jesus said that he referred to this individual's life as being swept. And that is the picture. I mean, it just means swept. It means the same in the Greek that it does in the English. It just means this, that the surface filth was removed. You know, I, we entertained. We had some people over uh, last night. And I came home on Monday night, and Amy was stressing, because you know, ladies, you want your house to look nice and all of that stuff. I walked in. I'm a guy. I'm like, there's no mud on the floor. You know, there's, the dogs haven't done anything inappropriate on the floor. You know, I'm like, yeah, it's great. And, and so I thought, I'm going to help out. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sweep. And so I, I got the surface filth off, and I, I said, how's it look, baby? Looks great, doesn't it? She goes, we got to mop this thing. I said, Mop? Well, what had I done? I was, I was content with just getting the surface clean. But her discerning eye says, no, we got to go deeper than that. We've got to get the grunge. And so that's what had to happen. And guess what? I had the Swiffer, the wet Swiffer in my hand, not too terribly long after that. What's my point there? My point is this. Surface cleansing is religion. A lot of people are sweeping up their lives. A lot of people are emptying their lives of all the clearly bad stuff. Let me get this thing out of my life and this thing out of my life, and I'll stop doing this and I'll start doing that. And what we call that is self-reformation. It just means we're trying to do better in some way, probably to please the Lord or to take away guilt, but it's not enough. You can sweep all day long. Now, you, you can get rid of all the bad stuff all day long, but there's got to be a greater occupant in your life. The strong man's got to be invited in, not to visit, but to stay. And so that's what we're looking at here. And so the surface area had been cleaned, but even beyond that, I mean, this, this guy's really trying to make the most of this absence of the demon. And so it says it was put in order. And so he finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And literally the Greek word there, and forgive me for the Greek studies, but it's a short couple of verses, and I want to make sure I'm representing what Jesus was teaching. It's a word also that means decorate. And so whether it's putting things in order or decorating, what Jesus is saying is, okay, well, if, it's, if we take the put in order interpretation that's, pardon me, found here in the ESV, it could indicate, it could represent self-help. I'm, I'm just trying to get my life in order. Well, I, I want my life in order, but not in the absence of Jesus, because what I order, a demon can disorder. Are y'all with me? Am I scaring you? Am I confusing you? Y'all with me? Okay, I'm just making sure. I can slow down if I need to. Human willpower is tantamount to putting things in order. Philosophy, turning over a new leaf. I'm just going to think positive thoughts. Mm, that, that, I got to put some things in order. Good intentions. 
Even stuff like financial stability, I, I know I can get myself together and I have a great life and meaning will find me if I can just get my finances in order or any external thing. It's the sweeping and it's the putting in order. Now, if it's the decorating emphasis that goes along with that, that Greek word, maybe, maybe we can confess that it's real easy for us Bible Belt people to decorate our lives with all sorts of religious stuff. You know, just baptism, church membership, you know, serving, a quiet time. Now, none of those things are bad. Listen, I've participated in all those things. I'm not denouncing those things. I'm trying to get us to just recognize something via repetition that all of these things, the ornaments we hang on our lives, the good intentions, the trying to prop ourselves up, the religious stuff that we hang on them, none of that stuff intimidates the enemy. He does not care. You know, it's, it's like we, we want to set up a, a, a Christmas tree of good works and, and we ornament it with all of these things, these disciplines and these good intentions and all these things. We set it up. We're like, let's see the devil come in now. He just comes in and takes a big lighter and sets the thing on fire and watches it burn. He's not intimidated by it. Now, the difference is, is all of those things apart from the presence, the active presence of Jesus Christ, that means we're walking in the spirit. We're walking in obedience. We're walking with short records of sin. That, doesn't, that means when we sin and we're convicted about it, we confess it, we repent it, we acknowledge it, and, and we, we move forward in grace that we're not playing around with the Lord. We're not, we're not, we're not trying to manage our sin. We're not trying to control it to keep it at a level where it doesn't really mess us up. And you know, we, we don't give ourselves to it and then, you know, double up on good stuff the next day to make up for it. And listen, some of this is just human nature. Some of it I've, I've just learned by counseling people for 20 years how messed up our minds are and how, how we can get to thinking like this. And so ultimately, none of that stuff helped the man. Watch what the end result is. And this is crazy. Look at the danger from the enemy. And I'm not going to try to soften this. This is real. The danger is that, first of all, the demon comes back in a moment. Boom. He said, I'm going back home, and then it goes. So this man's thinking, I'm getting my life in order. I'm getting my life together. Yes, sir, but you need Jesus. That, oh, that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean myself up first. I, I think I can do this. I'm going to go to some meetings. I've got some accountability partners. I got this thing. Oh, but sir, you need Jesus. You need to really surrender and submit and yield to Jesus. Now, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm, I'm going to do this thing for a little bit. And so the man doesn't get the one thing that he needs. He's got all of this other stuff, but he doesn't have the strong man in this house to defeat the enemy when the enemy comes in to rob him. So the demon comes back in a moment. And then the demon comes back viciously. Watch this. This is creepy. Brings with it seven other spirits. More evil than itself. Just pause with me there for a minute. Demons are like humans in this one sense, that there's some that are worse than others. I mean, I don't, I don't want the most mild, nicest demon. I don't, want, I don't want to be in 100 yards of it. But there's degrees of malevolence, degrees of murderous rage, degrees of power, degrees of authority in the demonic realm. And when this demon comes back, he's coming back in a communal way. He's saying, I don't want to go home alone. You know, I, I, 
I'm just going to bring some of my friends with me. And he brings seven other spirits with him, and they're all worse than him. And they're all going back into this man's life when this man has just gotten his life in what he believes is a safe, happy, healthy, and profitable place. And what he doesn't see coming over the hillside is seven invisible spirits just looking for a life to ruin. And they come straight to him. Now, I'm just going to let that hang in the air for a minute. Friends, this is not H.G. Wells. This is not H.P. Lovecraft. This is not science fiction. This is not some fringe charismatic teaching. This is Jesus. Jesus is teaching us. He's the one who's giving this, and it's preserved in the Bible, not so we can, you know, be sensationalized by this supernatural occultic thing, but that we can be warned. We can be informed. And so go a little further, the demon comes back to stay. They enter, they got in him, and they dwell there. Do you remember the verse that says, let Christ dwell in your hearts rooted by faith? Do you all remember that verse? It's the same verb, just as Jesus dwells in our hearts, the enemy dwells in this man's heart. It is um, heavy, heavy stuff. Because as Jesus comes into your life and my life to bless, to strengthen, to empower, to use and impart life and glory and joy and peace and advance the gospel, demons enter into people's lives also to control, also to dominate, to rule, but for the reverse effect, to bring misery, to bring pain, to bring affliction to bring torture, to bring sickness, anything that they can. And so when we're looking at this, I I feel like I want to reach out to the man. Look out, man! Watch it! Bow on your face and surrender it all to Jesus now. You're playing literally with fire. But this man got no warnings that we know of. And if he did, he didn't listen to him. And this is the end statement uh, from Jesus concerning this man. The enemy comes back to destroy him. And it just says the last state of the person is worse than the first. So all, him, all of his attempts to clean up his life and to order it and to hang good things on it and to get it together and sweep out the surface stuff. And the problem was is all he did was provide more room for the enemy to work. And he rested on things that could not defeat the demons. So that's Matthew 12, 43 and 45. Just let me, let me reframe it for you in a couple of bullet point thoughts, okay? So what did we just learn about demons from this passage in Matthew 12? First of all, according to Jesus Christ, demons are real. They're real. They were real then. They're real now. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. I have had three encounters. Let me see if I can get these in quickly because I don't really want to be, you know, dramatic with this. But the first time I knew I was in the presence of a demonized person was in 2004. I I was barely a pastor at Meadow at that time. And I was invited over to a family's house because their their 19, 20-year-old daughter was acting erratically and had been, hurting herself, hurting others, screaming out obscenities. And so I went over there. Immediately, you walk into the house, and you sense a malevolent spirit. You just sense it. And I didn't even know what I was doing back then. I had no grid for any of this. But I knew when I walked in that, oh, this is not good. 
And as I sat down, I just kind of watched her. She didn't say a lot. Her mother informed me of the history of the family. And part of that history is that she was ritually abused as a child by her father, who was a high priest in the Church of Satan, who had committed a suicide in a sacrifice of himself to Satan. And that had been years and years before, but that was her context for growing up. So the open door was there her whole life. And so here we are years and years later, and I am sitting there, and they're telling me about these manifestations in the home and talking to me about there are times where they see hovering, blurry presence just up in the corners of the room, and I'm, I'm getting chills thinking about it now. And, and I remember my blood ran cold, and I was just like, Jesus, come get me now. I, I want it out. But the Lord was gracious, and so to shorten that story, let me tell you this. After about an hour of sharing the gospel and pleading the blood of Jesus Christ over her life, the very look in her face began to change. I saw some softening and some, even some weeping. And eventually, she with her own mouth called on the name of the Lord. I actually said, I want you to bow your head, and at this time I want you to surrender your life to Jesus. She bowed her head and prayed. I kept my eyes on her. I would never close my eyes. scared me. It rattled me horribly, but literally her life changed that day. She struggled a little bit afterwards, but she never went back to that. She was delivered that day. She was saved and delivered that day, and eventually things were put back in order. Now, let me give you the second one. The second one is in Africa in whenever I was there, 2013, I think. Um, Nick Bell could attest to this. On the campus we were staying at in Tanzania, everybody was friendly. They all knew that we were Christians, but there was a man who lived on the property. He was probably, he looked like he was in his 70s. He was probably only about 50. And he would follow us around, and just his eyes were glazed over. He would stare us down, expressionless, dead face, and he would growl at us. He would growl. I mean, it, it was really freaky. I mean, and I remember one morning sitting there at breakfast. I'm by myself. I don't know where the team was. And it was, I was down there, and he sat at the table, and probably for 20 minutes he just sat there and looked at me and went, and it rattled me. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I prayed at my table, but I got my, my little iPad, and I walked away eventually, and I avoided that guy because I didn't feel like I was in a place and in a, in just a mental place where I was ready to go combat. I was mentally fatigued. I was spiritually drained, and I was like, you know what? If he comes near me, I'll deal with it, but I'm not going to pick a fight today. The third one, and I want to give this in the context of your church family. We've recently had an individual who's been popping up on the property. And after dialoguing with, dialoguing with several of our leaders and our safety team, there's only two options. He is clearly demonized or he has massive um, mental illness. My, my, my discernment spiritually says, no, he's demonized. And if you happen to notice, and probably a good time to say, if you happen to notice recently an uptick in our safety team and their activity, it is because we want to be safe in all things. And so we do, we're wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Harmless as doves is this. We want to love, we want to show encouragement, we want to show kindness, we want to offer um, you know, input, but we also recognize that you don't shake hands with the devil. And the hand that the devil reaches out is always a human hand because they inhabit people. And so when these things occur, my question is, are you prepared? Most of us aren't. Most of us aren't aware that we're prepared. Because I'm going to tell you, you don't need to take 50 classes. You, you, don't, you don't have to. I'm not against that. 
But you need to know, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. That you're not religious, you're redeemed. That you're not simply a church attender, but you're a blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God walking in the Holy Spirit. You also need to know this, that you don't have compromise, open, active, intentional compromise in your life. Because to the degree that we dabble in sin or we tolerate sin, and that's why it's good to do just a gut check every now and then. Listen, if we allow that, it weakens us. It doesn't mean God abandons us. It doesn't mean, you know, that he's just going to orphan us because we're struggling in an area. But if we enter into a hardening of our heart, then we lose our power and we can't win the battle. Remember Samson, the Old Testament example of Samson? He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That is the statement of Scripture. Samson did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Why did he do it? Because Samson had violated his sanctification with the Lord. And so demons can exercise their will. That's the second thing I want to give you. They can exercise their will. That's what this passage teaches. And come and go as he pleases. If there's nothing there stronger than him, he can come and go as he pleases. Third thing, demons have complete access to some human beings. Complete and total access. There is the only thing that prevents a demon from toying with any human being is the presence of Jesus Christ. If that demon wants to go into a person that is not inhabited by Christ, there's nothing to stop him. Nothing. There's no greater force on earth to stop an intentional assault by a demon. The only power is the power of God and the power of heaven. So unregenerate people are oftentimes um, the targets of the enemy because there's no fight over them. They'll take them, they'll use them, they'll waste them, they'll kill them, they'll bury them, and they'll move on to another place. That's just the way they operate. Demons are active, and they can move from location to location. Demons desire to make their home inside of humans. That's there in that passage. The demon says, I just got to go back to my house. Demonization cannot be prevented by clean, moral, orderly, disciplined living apart from Christ. It won't work. So when we're trying to get somebody that's unsaved to clean up their act. Just take, for instance, in the case of addiction, and most of us, our lives have been touched by somebody who's addicted, and we focus so much on getting them to stop the behavior. Sometimes that's to save their physical life. I get that. But at times, we're satisfied if they'll just quit getting high. My friend, listen, that's sweeping and and decorating the life, but it's not filling it. I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous for years and this is what I learned. They can dry me out a little, but they never could fill me up. And when Jesus filled me up on August 4th, 1994, I never went to another meeting. I never had to. Not because I'm a super Christian, because I had the one who was greater living in me. And he said, away with this stuff. You're not a slave anymore. You're not in chains anymore. You're not in bondage. I remember, you know, because when you go to meetings, they make you, hi, I'm Jeff. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm Jeff. I'm an addict. And I remember I went to a meeting with a friend that I had won to the Lord and she said in that meeting, she said, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm an addict. And after the meeting, because she had committed her life to Christ, after the meeting, I said, never let that come out of your mouth again. Never let it come out of your mouth as a child of God that your identity is that you are an addict. If you want to say that you have struggled with addiction, that's historical. That's not present. But when we start saying out of our mouth, I am an addict, I am an alcoholic, I am addicted to this, I am enslaved to this, we're defying the truth. And the devil starts rewiring our thinking on that. So moral living is good if you're saved. Orderly living is really good if you're saved. Um, um, Disciplines are really good. I'm not anti-discipline. I'm just saying it's not enough. And the devil laughs at our disciplines. 
He laughs at it. Israel used to fast all the time while they were sacrificing their kids to Molech. They'd keep the fast, and then they'd go make their kids pass through the fire. The devil's laughing, look at their fasting. They think they're honoring the Lord. They're ours. We own them. And eventually, God told them that. He said, away with your fasts and your new moons and your Sabbath and your feast. He said, you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And so, friends, that's the kind of stuff we've got to watch out for. Again, we learn from this passage that demons are merciless. They look for their own satisfaction by possessing humans. That's just what they want to do. They're not happy unless they're ruining somebody's life. Now, I'm not talking about a bad day. I'm talking they want to inflict suffering, shame, and death. That's their mission. Uh, We also learn by this passage that demons can travel in communal packs. Sounds wild, doesn't it? I mean, we never think about this stuff. They actually can say, hey, you want to go with me? Yeah, when we go to your place, we'll go over there to my place. They're, They're literal creatures with abilities and will. They move. And they can come together. And I'm going to tell you something. Been my experience, I know there have been times where as an assembly of believers, we have been attacked by an assembly of the enemy. Know it for a fact. Don't even, I'm not going to take a move, a second, or vote on it. I'm telling you, there have been seasons where I know we are not under the attack of a demon, but we're under the attack of demons. Because you got this going on over here and this going on and this thing, this war is nothing like this war. And this person's not reacting like this one, but it's all bad. So a rational person, a person who's addicted to their mind, says, well, that's just coincidence. Really? There's more biblical evidence for it being the enemy than there is for it being a coincidence. And yet we dismiss this stuff. And so then ultimately, I mean, this is like really depressing stuff, and I'm going to end on a high note right here. I mean, it is. It stinks. It's horrible. We're talking about hell. We're talking about the enemy. But, but, but I'm going I'm to tell you, A, if you're saved, why you don't have to worry about this. You need to be aware of it because you're actually called to combat it, to put it in its place, to fight it, to take authority over it. We're not supposed to run from the devil. The Bible says run at him, resist him. It's an aggressive word. It's not run from him in resistance. It's go after it with the authority of God Almighty who lives in in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so with all of this ugly and diabolical and wickedness coming against us let me give you something as we close child of god and if you're not saved you've never accepted jesus christ in here i i I cannot be any clearer to you i'm not being loveless i'm actually i I, i'm trying to love hell away from you I, i i want to tell you apart from jesus christ you will lose When I got saved, I didn't get saved because I thought it was time to be a nice, sweet little Christian. I got saved because I knew I was going to go to hell if I died. I knew that if I died that day, that was my, I sensed I had been running from God and rebelling from God. I didn't have any interest in being a preacher or anything. I I just knew that if I died, I was going to explode in hell. And so I wish I could say I just loved Jesus so much and he made himself so appealing to me. No, the fear of God got a hold of me on August 3rd of 94. And on August 4th, I said, I'm done running. You can kill me or you can save me, but I am not going to run from you anymore. And and he saved me and he delivered me. That's why there are times where I have to obey what Jude said. Some you save with fear, plucking them out of the fire. Some have compassion, he said, but others save with fear, 
plucking them out of the fire, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That's in your Bible. So sometimes we just need a good old-fashioned you know, moment where, where we're grabbed by the collar, by the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit says through somebody, what are you doing? You're playing with eternity. You're, you're, you're toying with your soul. You're denying the one who's coming to save you, and you're choosing rebellion. And friend, if you're here tonight, and, and, and God's working in you like he was working in me 23 years ago. Then let the fear of the Lord be the beginning of your wisdom and bow your heart to Jesus Christ and he will have mercy on you. And he will save you and he will defend you and he will deliver you and then he will train you for war and you'll actually fight with him and fight alongside of him rather than fighting against him. So how do we fight? Let me give you this and we'll just pray and we'll go home. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Why not? We hadn't read these in a long time. I'm not going to preach them, I'm going to read them. Finally, Christian, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take upon you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened uh, on you the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel uh, of peace and in every circumstance, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one and put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I, I just love that, man. I mean, that, doesn't, that encourage, doesn't that embolden you? Doesn't, that should rob every single one of us of all the fear that came at us in the demon passages. But for the Christian, we should say, oh, man, that is really a scary enemy. Oh, yeah, but uh, that's right. I forgot. I'm standing with Jesus, and I have his armor on, and I can't lose. And when you make up your mind that you can't lose when you're in the presence of Jesus, you're going to start walking in victories that you never thought you'd walk in before. You'll start taking authority over your thoughts, your mind, your mouth, your relationships. You'll start seeing yourself as a servant of the Most High God, and there will be moments where you will stop asking permission to be the Christian that you were intended and destined to be. And we'll start walking in that authority, and those are the times where the devil says, um, I'm going to send this batch of demons that was originally signed to her, but she's walking in the Spirit. She's wearing armor that I've seen, and it never turns out good for us when a, when a woman like that, a woman of God, has that armor on. We're going to go somewhere else. And that's literally what happens. Friends, it's, it's not just kind of dreamy and ethereal. They, they're not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. They, they, they have to react to what they see. God doesn't react because God knows everything. God is working all things together for our good. God never says, ooh, I didn't see that one coming, but the devil does. And so when the devil looks at you and he thinks he's got you in the crosshairs and you hold up the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and you bring up your shield of faith and you, you're, you got the helmet of salvation on, you're standing firm in the gospel and you got the breastplate of righteousness, meaning your life's not compromised. You're looking at the devil and he's saying, I don't want none of that. Y'all do not believe me tonight, but I am telling you that this is absolutely true. And so I'll, I'll just finish because, yeah, it's just probably should, but 1 John chapter number 4. It's, it's, let, let me just read these verses. 
Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, excuse me, does not confess Jesus, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Here is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. I'm just going to send you home with this. In Jesus, you're a winner, so go win. Amen? Let's stand together.